Good morning, church. My name's Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and it's a delight to be in the house of the Lord with each and every one of you here today, and all of you joining us near and far, wherever you might be, via our live stream. Well, do you ever find yourself having a hard time saying no to something? Do you sometimes feel like when you do help other people, like they're just taking you for granted? Well, we're in our second week of our sermon series called What's Your Number? And it's based on the Enneagram, which classifies human personalities into nine different types. It's very similar to other tools that are used like Myers-Briggs or the Strength Finders or the Disc Inventory. Businesses and corporate America have used these kind of tools for years to train their employees and to maximize how employees can work most effectively together. But we're taking it a step further because we want to discover how we can more effectively follow Jesus in the way that he's designed each of us to follow him. And so we hope that you'll make some discoveries about yourself so that you can understand more fully how uniquely God has made you and so you can learn how to grow in your relationship with other people and in your walk with the Lord. Last week, we looked at the first personality type, number one, the reformer. And today, we're going to look at the second personality type, number two, the helper. You see, twos are called the helpers because helping people is who they are. You might say that service is their middle name. Helpers value their relationship with other people, and helping other people is important to them. They are kind. They are self-sacrificing. They're considerate of other people. They want the world to be a more loving place, and they work really hard to help make that happen. Helpers express what they feel for others by by helping, by serving, by taking care of the needs of other people as they see them. They take a genuine interest in other people and in coming alongside other people, anyone that they see who is in need. And they offer acts of service, they offer helpful advice and nurture. Helpers make really good listeners most of the time. Now, number twos are a great asset to their communities. You'll find them serving in lots of different ways and, and applying themselves in lots of different committees, for example. They serve in churches and schools, in sports leagues, and in other community groups. They are the first to bring a meal whenever someone is in need of a meal to be brought to them, if you're sick, for example, and they are the last to leave a party. They'll be in the kitchen cleaning up and taking care of all those details. But just like all of the other personality types that we're going to be looking at, number twos have their challenges as well. In return for their helping, they want to be appreciated, loved, and wanted. 
this can sometimes make it awfully hard for number twos to set boundaries. It makes it hard for them to ever be able to say no because twos need to be needed. They rely on other people needing them in order to boost their own self-worth. They present a cheerful, likable image, and that's their strategy for getting you to love them in return. Now, ones, as we heard last week, often live out of their intuition, but twos, they live out of their hearts. They're feeling people. They feel everything. Ones live in a world of logic and rational arguments. Twos are all about their feelings. And while ones can be judgmental, twos are graciously accepting. Twos are at their best when they love and care for others out of the the overflow of knowing that they are loved and lovely in the eyes of God. Not for what they do, but just for who they are. They're at their best when they serve others without any expectations for getting something in return. When they serve other people without any strings attached. It is then that twos reflect God's unconditional love and care for other people. At their worst, when they are not appreciated or when their voice isn't heard, twos feel taken for granted. They can become controlling and manipulative, entitled, even intrusive. They sometimes fear that they are with value in and of themselves, and so they believe that they must be or do something extraordinary in order to win love and acceptance from other people. And this can cause them to present a false image of being completely generous and unselfish and of not wanting anything in return when, in fact, twos can have enormous expectations and unacknowledged emotional needs. I want to share with you a fictional account that I was reading on a blog by a woman who runs her own business and has used the Enneagram in that business to help facilitate working relationships. I was reading this and I thought it was fascinating. The young woman's name in this story is Sarah, and she's a 32-year-old executive assistant who lives just outside a major city here in the U.S., She loves working in a co-working space that is set up for helping new tech startups. And on the weekend, she loves trying out new restaurants in the city with her husband. Sarah loves her role as an assistant to an ambitious executive who she absolutely admires and respects. And as this woman's right-hand woman, Sarah is able to anticipate the needs of the team and able to support her boss as well. So this makes her, as you can imagine, an invaluable asset to her company. When Sarah was a little girl, she was considered to be the teacher's pet in school. Did you ever know someone like that? Were you someone like that? She loved cleaning the chalkboards, passing out worksheets, and helping her teacher grade papers. She always felt that she was making a real contribution and that her contributions were appreciated and that helped to keep the classroom running smoothly. As a young 20-something, 
She knew that she would excel behind the scenes in her work, but she still wanted to find a company that was doing meaningful work where she felt like she was really making a contribution. When she met the woman behind a big digital startup company that was providing opportunities for women in tech, Sarah knew that she absolutely wanted to be a part of this organization. And so in her role as executive assistant, Sarah is able to participate in an innovative industry and meet the needs of a growing digital empire. She contributes to the positive and uplifting culture of the female-driven tech startup. And she seems to have this sixth sense about what others need the most, and then she goes about offering that. When Sarah feels appreciated, her boss often comments on her quick assistance and her flexibility, that she is nurturing and kind to everyone on the team, that she kind of acts as a mother figure, especially to newer people to the organization. The people who work with her complement her optimistic perspective and her willingness to help. And Sarah wants everyone on the team to feel supported. But when the team is under stress, Sarah can start to spiral in, down into an average and even down further into an unhealthy state. Because Sarah is highly empathetic and easily picks up the energy of other people, she often reflects the current culture of the company. So when others isolate or begin offering critical feedback, Sarah feels unappreciated and resentful of those that she assists, especially when they stop asking for her help. Her primary concern is to feel needed in her relationships. And so she may start to provide unsolicited advice or assistance to her coworkers so that they will feel indebted to her. You see, without accountability, Sarah's need to be needed can drive a wedge in the team's dynamic. Instead of sincerely supporting her coworkers and boss, She'll begin attaching strings and expectations to her generosity. Sarah's pride in being the helper will cause her to be in denial of her own needs, and she'll begin to complain about her lack of appreciation and the ingratitude of her boss. The fixation on the negative leaves Sarah feeling incredibly lonely. For you see, the thing that number twos struggle with the most their core sin, if you will, is pride. Now that might sound a little bit funny at first, since twos are often seen as being so selfless. But twos believe that they know what's best for everyone else and that they can take care of everyone else's needs. And so they often deny the care that they need themselves the most. They focus on all their attention on meeting the needs of others while at the same time giving the impression that they don't even have any needs. They give help to people who they see as being weaker or less experienced or less capable of managing their own lives than they are themselves. They like to see themselves as the knight in shining armor riding in on a white horse to save the day but their unconscious expectation is this. I'll be there for you 
as long as you promise that you will be there for me without me ever having to acknowledge or even ask you for help. And if you are not there when the number two helper needs you, they will be seething with resentment inside. You see, twos expect you to know what they need even without asking. If you say to a two, I'm sorry, but I'm not a mind reader, they will say, well, I'm tired of having to tell you what I need all the time. You should just know it. Helpers are often drawn into the ministry, as you might imagine. And while they're absolutely great at caring for the needs of other people, it can also wreck them if they don't learn to set some healthy boundaries. I've had friends in the minister in the ministry who love the role of helping other people. It doesn't matter what time of the day or the night you call or what your problem is, is if they see you as having a need, they are absolutely there for you. Unfortunately, one of two things usually happens. They go so long until one day they wake up and they realize they can't keep going on this way without replenishing themselves, without recharging their batteries, without taking care of some of their own needs. Or they never come to that realization and they just one day up and quit the ministry. They leave burned out, exhausted. Maybe number two, the helper sounds like you. Or maybe it sounds like someone you know, maybe even someone you live with. We have two women on our staff here at Anderson Hills our number, who are number twos, Sue Black and Amy Tomlinson. Let's hear from them in this video. An adjective to describe the type two helper in the Enneagram is considerate. How does that fit you? You want to go ahead? Sure. Okay. Um, I was being considerate. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I think when you are considerate, yes, I think it does because when you're considerate, you're thinking of others. And that's, I think, a big part of what the helper does. You're thinking about others, you're empathizing with others, you know, the struggles they're going through, the pain they're going through. So I would say yes. What is your deepest fear? Your turn. My turn. Uh, I think rejection. Um, I think because I care so much what people think about me um, and I want to be loved that I, if I'm being honest, um, I do have a fear of being rejected. I would say mine's similar, but insignificance. Mm. That I went through this life and didn't create the positive impact that I wanted to. Um, that I didn't help, that I didn't serve, that it didn't matter as much as I thought. I think it does, um, and that people didn't see Jesus in me. How does being a type number two, the helper, impact your relationship with Christ? There can sometimes be a bit of a boundary issue. You know, why did um, my friend lose a child? Why did um, somebody have to move away from me that I really loved? Um, and so it can, it can draw me into a lot of questioning with the Lord. And I don't question 
his motives or his plan. It's just sometimes we want to know the answer, and it's you're not we're not going to get it this side of heaven. I think I, being a people pleaser, try to go out of my way to please the Lord. Like, what do I need to do instead of be? I can let that overcloud me just being still and listening to his direction or his, you know, his words to me. I try and figure it out for him. I micromanage him. (laughs) (laughs) I totally see you as the helper. You're one of the first people that if there's a need, you're right there. Oh, thanks. You and Vic. But yeah, you're 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 already setting up a, a meal plan or, or doing something, weeding yards or giving a kidney. So. <laughs> she is. <laughs> well, and I see the same in you. I see you starting small groups where there wasn't one before because you saw a need and you do the meal train thing too. I mean, mm-hmm. together we could do meal trains forever. <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> Woo-hoo! It's a wrap. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Amy is such a good helper. She can help anyone with just about anything. And Sue, as you heard, really is also a helper, so much so that she literally did give away one of her kidneys to a woman that she had never met before about a year ago. And uh, so it's just amazing how um, these two women um, serve by being helpers. Well, there's also a woman in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, who is a perfect example of a number two, the helper. And her name is, do you know? Martha. Absolutely right. You see, whenever, was Je- whenever Jesus was near Jerusalem, just outside near the town of Bethany, he knew exactly where to go for a good meal and for warm hospitality in a home that was just filled with love. This home was his retreat in many instances. And Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were some of Jesus' best friends. Let's hear Martha's story. We can find it in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary and sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, when Jesus arrived at her home, Martha started doing what all good number twos would do. She got busy making sure that everyone was comfortable, that everyone had what they needed. And so on this occasion, Martha was busy in the kitchen, putting together another one of her famous meals, which had given her such a great reputation in the town of Bethany. 
She was slaving over a hot stove, fussing over the details of the dinner to which she and her sister Mary had invited Jesus. But where was Mary? In Martha's eyes, she was busy goofing off. Her older sister's resentment was coming to full boil while the lamb was roasting on the grill. Mary's blood, or Martha's blood pressure is just escalating. And so Martha says, Jesus, tell my sister to get her lazy bones in here, in the kitchen with me, if she knows what's good for her. It's not fair for me to be doing all the work by myself. I mean, hell hath no fury like an overworked number two who is feeling unappreciated. And under her breath, Martha is probably saying, God knows I wanted this place to be spick and span and neat and tidy and vacuumed and dusted and swept and polished, and not all of that got done before Jesus arrived. But Jesus goes into the kitchen and he says, Martha, calm down, relax. Both kindly and critically, Jesus called Martha out on her dust-free carpet. He said, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things, but only one thing is needed. Worried and distracted and stressed and frazzled and burned out and exhausted, that sounds like a number two a lot of the times. You see, the Marthas of the world hear this story, and they get themselves a little bit irritated, probably because they had a Mary as a sister or a Mary in their family or a friend or something like that who was always getting away with this exact same kind of stuff. Marthas think that Jesus should have commended Martha while chastising Mary. And let's face it, it wasn't that Mary was doing anything bad. Absolutely not. She was doing something really good. Someone had to be making that meal, right? There was a, a gathering going on in the house where Jesus was. If they wanted to eat that night, somebody had to be making the meal. Martha was simply doing what came naturally for her. It's the way God created her as a number two. And she wanted to serve Jesus in the very best way that she knew how. But she is hoping to feel loved and appreciated. Well, Jesus affirms the importance of a servant heart. But spending time with Jesus is also important. Mary wasn't lazy. What Mary had learned how to do was to set up some boundaries and to learn to say no to her guilt-inducing sister. She had learned to choose the better part, Jesus says, and so maybe what Jesus is saying to you, number twos today, is that you need to learn how to relax in his presence. My friends, it is true that we are to be a loving people. We are to be concerned with others. In fact, it's the number one hallmark of being a Christian, and that is that we love other people. But being able to say no can actually increase the ability of twos to be able to care for other people. For you see, to care about others, the two needs to take care of him or herself also. In fact, Jesus himself was a number two. Jesus defined his entire life this way. 
we find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples walking on their way to Jerusalem. And it's making everyone around him just a little bit anxious because the last time they were in the capital, Jesus had faced a lot of opposition from the religious leaders who were there. And so as they walk along, he's explaining to the disciples what's going to happen there. And none of it is good. And it seems to be going right over the disciples' heads as they listen. Maybe they just didn't want to hear the bad news. Well, anyway, it didn't seem to faze James and John at all because they asked Jesus a really presumptuous question. You'll find this exchange in Mark 10, 35 to 37. It goes like this. Teacher, would you do whatever we ask of you? Jesus says, what do you want? Let us sit at your right and at your left hand when you come into your glory. Now, you have to know that the right-hand seat was the seat of supreme honor, and the left-hand seat was the second seat of great honor. Matthew's version of this same story says that James and John actually sent their mother to ask Jesus this question. I mean, talk about a meddling mother, right? Still active in the lives of her adult sons. And to be absolutely fair, James and John probably had a reason to believe that they might get these seats of honor. I mean, they were in part of the inner three, James and John and Peter. They were the closest to Jesus. And it was John who would sit next to Jesus at the Last Supper and lean his head on Jesus' breast. Plus, they were probably number threes, which we'll hear about next week, the achievers, the super competitive ones, right? But let's get back to Mark, picking up in verse 38. Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? They reply, we can do that. Well, you are going to drink from that cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering I am about to go through. But not even I have the right to make the decision of who gets the seat of honor. It has already been made by someone else. And then in verse 41, it gets really pathetic. The ten other disciples have been listening in on this whole conversation, and they get angry, not because James and John have been presumptuous in asking for these seats, but probably because they didn't think of it first to ask Jesus. And so Jesus uses this whole moment as a teachable moment. And he says, this is not like other organizations where everyone jockeys for first place where the person with the most power, money, charm, and good looks gets to be first. Just the opposite. You want to be number one? That's a wonderful aspiration. But you do that by being last. And then Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus defines his entire life, the very reason that he came to earth, as one who serves. And it goes against everything that we were taught from the day we were born. I struggle with it. I imagine some of you, most of you, all of you struggle with it too. 
Because you see, at the heart of our struggle is our human selfishness. We want to put ourselves first, don't we? And nothing helps us to kill that self-centeredness like being a servant. You see, in Martha, we see an unhealthy number two, but in Jesus, we see a healthy two. And you might ask yourself, what's the difference? Well, here is what Christian author Richard Foster has to say. He says, there is a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about whom I serve and when I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and control. You see, service is not about adding another activity to our already hectic schedules. It's not about getting people to like us or need us or appreciate us because we feel unworthy and rejected. It's about living a lifestyle of servanthood wherever God has placed us. And living a life of servanthood will absolutely change us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 reminds us that when people see our good deeds, they will glorify God. And if we serve with the attitude of love, and if we do it to glorify God, then the sky is the limit for what we can accomplish. Serving is really just putting our love into action. But if we do it out of guilt or obligation, or if we're doing it to try and earn points with God, we are going to become frustrated. This is the essence of the Christian life. Unless I learn how to serve others without an expectation of getting them to do something for me in return, then I will never grow into the likeness of Christ. I can have all the correct beliefs I can be faithful in worship. I can serve on lots of committees. But if I'm not serving others, I'm not really living the Christian life. Second Timothy says, It is God who saved us and chose us for his holy work. And what is holy work? Holy work is ministry. You see, the word for ministry is the same word for service. Servant and minister, same word. The Bible tells us that we were saved in order to serve. You see, the moment that you were baptized into the Christian faith, you were commissioned in the Lord's army for service. But for the number two, you have to figure out how to do it in a healthy way. And so how do we do that? How do us number twos grow in grace? Well, first... Twos need to learn to set some boundaries. Don't say yes to everything. When someone asks for your help, don't automatically say yes. Tell them you'll think about it. Tell them you'll pray about it. Better yet, learn to just say no sometimes. Secondly, when you have an urge to rescue someone, ask yourself, is this really my job to do? And if you're not sure, talk to a friend about it. Get some good advice. 
Three, be honest. Don't hint at telling your friends or wait for them to read your mind. Be direct with them. Tell them what you need. It's okay. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. Four, when you catch yourself trying too hard to present a likable image or flattering others to win their approval, remind yourself that your identity comes from one place only, from God, and it, His love for you is unconditional. It's about who you are, not what you do. And when you feel resentment or entitlement, don't push those feelings away. Pay attention to them. Sit up. Take notice. Look at them as invitations to look inwardly. Ask the Holy Spirit to come in and bring healing to those feelings so you can deal with them in a healthy way. And most importantly, most importantly, choose to serve anonymously. Do it without the need to get anything in return. And so to all of you Marthas out there, are you tired of trying to earn approval? Would you like to come and rest just like Mary did and sit at the feet of Jesus? Then my friend, hear Jesus' invitation for you. Put down your work. Put down your plans. Put down your spreadsheets. For there is so much joy to be found in the presence of Jesus. There's a sense of completeness found only in Him. And so let's be done with our need to convince others that you are lovable and accept the truth for what it really is. You already are because you are His, created in His image. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for creating each one of us so uniquely. Not one of us is like an other, another person, although we share some similar traits. Lord, help us to look deep inside of ourselves in the ways that you created us to use the gifts and the skills and our, our personalities, our makeups, to their very best way that we can use them to serve in the body of Christ. Help us also to look realistically at the way we sometimes turn those into negatives so that we can be healthy and whole and healed in your presence and make the body of Christ the wonderful body that you created it to be. Help us to learn and grow in these days and help us to learn to serve you with, um, with true servanthood and also, Lord, Lord, to learn to sit at your feet and listen and be your beloved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.